اللهم على سيدنا مولانا رسول الله وعلى اله واصحابه ومن والاه اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما اغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والحادي الى صراطك المستقيم وعلى اله حق قدره ومقداره العظيم اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته we welcome all of you once again to our al-aqidah as-sanusiyah lessons alhamdulillah we started with some introduction uh, to the subject of aqidah and what it actually means. And uh, we'll continue from there, inshallah. We apologize for the bit of the disruption in last week's uh, relay due to technical reasons. But inshallah, uh, it's been sorted out, alhamdulillah. So I said the last time that uh, Based on the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salab, uh, the deen was divided into three levels, or three aspects, right? They are all, each aspect is, is, is equally valuable on its own. So it's Islam, Iman, Ihsan. And Islam is the level that uh, is covered by the science of fiqh. Because the Prophet ﷺ, when he was asked, what is Islam by Jibreel ﷺ? He said, uh, to testify the shahada, uh, to pray five times a day, to fast in Ramadan, to give your zakah, to uh, perform your hajj. So these uh, five are the pillars, the outward rituals, pillars of Islam. And uh, it is the science of fiqh that deals with these elements, right? Uh, Kitab al-Salah, Kitab al-Zakah, Kitab al-Siyam, Kitab al-Hajj. Uh, you find all the chapters on all these practices and all their details covered in the books of fiqh. Right? As well as, you know, uh, uh, all other rulings of haram and halal and practical aspects of the deen of Islam. The next is uh, Iman. And that is uh, related to our science of Aqidah. And that is covered in the science of Aqidah. So Iman, again, is about what you should believe in uh, as, as a Muslim. <clears throat> and that is very important for us because on the basis of that, all our actions are accepted. So Iman or Aqidah is the foundation on which your actions are accepted or rejected. If your, in other words, if your Aqidah is not correct, if your belief system is not correct, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept your actions. This is a very serious matter. It's a very serious matter because uh, a lot of people uh, uh, have this misconception that as long as your actions are good, that's, that's fine. And uh, it doesn't matter what you believe. And that's a very big problem. Uh, everywhere throughout the Holy Quran, wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, talks about uh, salvation or success in the dunya and the akhirah, he always says, Those who believed and did the good deeds. Those who believed and did the good deeds. So first he mentions belief, iman, amanu, 
And then he mentions the good deeds. The good actions. So, therefore, uh, Iman is the first condition. Uh, uh, without Iman, the Amal Salih cannot be accepted. Uh, this is the fundamental belief of Islam. Uh, I know nowadays there is a new trend. Uh, and this trend, uh, unfortunately, some Muslims are also kind of buying into it. It's that it doesn't matter what you believe in. Uh, you could be a Christian, Jew, Hindu, atheist, anything. Uh, you should just be a nice person. And that uh, all you need to do uh, to do uh, to be to go to Jannah uh, or paradise is just be a good person. So that is fundamentally flawed <clears throat> on many levels. For one. Uh, you know, that is not Islam. That's not Islam. That's not what Islam says, okay? If somebody says that, fine, that's their opinion. If they want to believe that, that's up to them. But please be clear that that is not what Islam says. That's not what the Quran and the Sunnah say. That's not what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu was preaching. Don't make that into Islam. If you believe that, then you cannot be a Muslim anymore. Because the Quran is very clear uh, that in numerous places, hundreds of places, not just one or two places in the Quran, uh, hundreds of places in the Quran, we are called to believe in Allah and believe in His Prophet. And then we are told to do good, good deeds. Uh, without believing in Allah and His Prophet, there, are, there is no acceptance. And Allah makes it clear. Allah swears by time. And that is by all time. All time. That human beings are at loss. Except those who believe in Allah. Except those who believed. And it doesn't say just believe in Allah. It says believed. It includes believe in Allah, believe in His Prophet, believe in the last day, believe in the holy book, and did the good deeds. So therefore, uh, that type of idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, uh, just be a nice guy, uh, that is for not Islam. That's not Islam. Secondly, uh, uh, what is the definition of, of being a nice guy? What's the definition of being a good person? Uh, as far as we are concerned as, as Muslims, uh, you know, uh, that includes belief in Allah and, and acknowledgement of your creator. For us, a person that doesn't acknowledge their creator and his oneness cannot technically be classified as a good person or a nice guy. You can't say that about uh, somebody that doesn't believe in the creator. They are lacking something very important, right? Yeah, I know the person may be nice as a person. I'm not denying that. Uh, the person may be having nice manners. But is that a good person? No. Uh, somebody might say, well, that person is good to everyone. He's good to all people. He's good to animals. Uh, he's good to humans. Uh, so that's why he's a good guy. So we will answer them and say, okay. 
he's good to fellow human. This guy is very nice with everybody. He helps everybody out. He's a nice guy. He he's nice to animals. You know, he looks after all the you know the cats and the dogs. Great. Is he also nice to God? That's that's our question. Is he also nice to God? Uh, is he also good to his creator? Does he also treat his creator nicely? Uh, no. There, he denies the creator. He rejects the creator. He turns his back to his creator. He does. He refuses to worship his creator. He does not even. He refuses to even acknowledge his creator. Now, I'm asking you something. If somebody refuses to acknowledge their dad or their mom, somebody refuses to serve their mother or their father and refuses to acknowledge them after they've done everything for that person. They raised him up, they looked after him, they provided for him, and then in, you turn and you reject your mother, you reject your father completely. Will we cons consider such a person a good person? No, we will not consider such a person to be a good person. Even if this person is looking after a lot of poor people or feeding a lot of homeless people. But we're not going to consider this guy a good guy because he rejects his mother and father, the ones who raised him up, and he doesn't give them the right. As far as we are concerned, the, the right of God is even greater than that. Because in reality, it's not even your parents who raised you up. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who raised you up. It is Allah who provided for you everything. The air that you breathe, the water that you drink, the land that you walk on, everything, the clothes that you wear, it's all from Allah. So when somebody rejects Allah and turns their back to Allah, in our definition, such a person cannot be considered a good person. Yes, they may have some good qualities. That's to be fair. But we cannot classify this person as a good person. Because they have rejected the greatest haq that is upon them, which is the haq of their creator. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّةِ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I created you, mankind, Allah says. I created mankind so that they may worship me. So, so, so mankind was created with, with the specific purpose of worshipping Allah. So therefore, the, the definition of a good person itself is questionable. Uh, so th this idea that, you know, uh, Aqidah is not important is a very dangerous idea. Uh, all good deeds are based on your belief. And in the Holy Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that the kuffar the deniers or the disbelievers in God, on the day of judgment, all their actions will be turned into dust. All their actions will be turned into dust. In other words, all their actions will be useless on the day of judgment. If, in other words, if somebody doesn't believe in Allah, uh, then that person... Uh, spends uh, millions of dollars in charity in charity right millions of dollars if but if that person doesn't believe in allah that charity is not going to help him on the day of judgment that charity is not going to help him on the day of judgment it will all be turned into dust because it is not for the sake of allah it's not for the sake of allah uh, it's he didn't do it for allah so why should allah reward him
<laughs> that's the important point, right? Uh, some people uh, insist, yeah, but how it's, not, it's unfair. Allah should reward a person like that. Allah should grant Jannah to a person like that. And the question you ask such a person is, uh, uh, why should Allah reward such a person when they didn't want any reward from Allah? They didn't ask any reward from Allah. They didn't believe in Allah. And I, re I remember uh, a couple of years ago, uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, an atheist that passed away. And this was a famous person who, who you know, who did uh, certain good things, you know, beneficial things for mankind. Again, I don't see he was a good person, but I say he did some good. So there were people saying that, oh, is he going to Jannah or not? Is he, is he going to paradise? Why is he not going to paradise? Uh, and some even went to the extreme of saying he's definitely going to paradise. Subhanallah, you know, these are the things you got you get to hear, you know, when somebody dies. Although technically as, as Muslims, uh, we will study in Aqeedah that we don't even say about a Muslim that dies. We don't even say about a Muslim that dies, he's definitely going to Jannah. We can't say that. We don't know. I mean, there are the 10 people the Prophet ﷺ guaranteed Jannah. We know they went to Jannah. Uh, and, you know, if uh, some of the Sahaba of Ahlul Bayt, the Prophet ﷺ specified them that they are going to Jannah. So we know that. Other than that, we can't specify about anybody that they are definitely 100% certainly going to Jannah. We can't say that. We hope in that. We hope in that we have good hopes. If somebody was a Muslim, somebody did all their obligations, somebody was a wali of Allah, a pious person, we hope in that. We say, inshallah, they are in Jannah, inshallah. But you can't say with certainty. But nowadays you have Muslims uh, telling you about an atheist, about an atheist, he's definitely going to Jannah because he did this and this and this. And, uh, and uh, what did you do? Now, my, uh, and I remember I asked the, the people who were saying these things that, brothers, you are, you, you're saying this guy, uh, this atheist person uh, must, should go to Jannah, but this person didn't even believe in Jannah. So why are you so eager to send him to Jannah when even he himself was not eager to go to Jannah? He didn't believe in Jannah. He was somebody who didn't believe in paradise. He didn't believe in Allah. didn't believe in the Akhirah. So why are you so excited? It's like sending a, you know, a, 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 a vegetarian, you know, to, to a barbecue, you know. The person is a vegetarian, but you insist that that person should attend the barbecue for, for why? So it, it's foolish. Uh, Jannah is for those who believe in Jannah. And those who work for it, those who don't believe in it, and those who don't work for it, those who don't believe in in, in the Creator, in Allah, in His Tawheed, uh, why should Allah be rewarding them in the first place? Uh, of course, uh, here the question comes up: that uh, then what happens to the good deeds of uh, <coughs> uh, the kuffar? Uh, is is a non-Muslim who killed a hundred people? And a non-Muslim, a disbeliever who fed a hundred people, are they exactly the same? No. Uh, our ulama mentioned that uh, those non-Muslims who do good deeds, disbelievers who do good deeds, uh, like, you know, they do charity or whatever, then they will be rewarded in this world. 
they will be rewarded in this world. In other words, uh, the good they do will, will help them in this world, will help them in this world, but not in the Akhirah, because it wasn't for the Akhirah. Uh, and of course, their punishment will be less in the hereafter. Why? Because uh, let's say that a disbeliever, he, he's first got the original sin of disbelief. That's his original sin, that he disbelieves in Allah. He'll be punished for that, for not believing in his creator, for rejecting his creator. But at the same time, if he committed 100 murders, he will also be punished for those 100 murders. He's going to be punished for that as well. While there's a disbeliever who didn't commit any murders, he will be punished for rejecting the creator, but he won't be punished for, 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 for those murders, for example, because that's not he didn't do that. So, of course, there's a difference between a good uh, uh, person who did good and a person who did bad, even amongst disbelievers. Uh, so, Aqidah is very important. It's very important for us to, to uh, believe in, uh, have the correct belief system because all our actions are based on that. For example, I give another example. Uh, in this case of, of a Muslim, uh, even if a Muslim has a wrong aqidah, all his actions are rejected. It's not about the label. For example, if there's a person who is a Muslim, right, you know, Abdullah or Abdul Rahman or Maryam or whatever, and this person prays five times a day, gives sadaqah, and they go to Makkah every year, Umrah, you know, they, they read the Quran, uh, they go to the masjid, they do all the good things. But uh, they also believe that uh, it's possible for prophets to come after Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Or they believe that somebody after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the prophet, is a prophet. Right? They believe that somebody else besides the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is a prophet of God. Such a person uh, is considered out of the fold of Islam. And all their salat, their zakat, their siyam, their hajj, their umrah, all of that is rejected, is not accepted by Allah. Because their aqidah is false. Their aqidah is flawed. Same thing, if such a person, uh, they, they prayed and fasted and uh, gave charity and everything, but they believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a man. They believe that Allah is a is a man if you ask them uh, what is your perception of allah brother what do you believe about allah and they tell you well i believe allah allah is a great man that's sitting somewhere up there in the heavens somewhere up there in the heavens allah is sitting there uh, he's a great man and i hope to meet this man one day if somebody has this type of aqidah then all their actions are rejected their salah their prayer is useless because who are you praying to even if you pray five times a day, you are praying to an idol. You are praying to another human being. Uh, also, at the same time, another example, uh, if somebody prays five times a day and they fast and they give zakah, they, they read the Holy Quran, they do all the, 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 follow all the sunnas, but they deny uh, the prophethood of Isa alayhi salam or Musa alayhi salam. They say, for example, that, uh, and this is the real one, actually, real example. The, they, for example, don't believe that Nabi Isa alayhi salam existed. 
And I heard a Muslim guy say that, uh, I don't believe Jesus really existed because he, they, they read a book by some atheist, uh, an anti-Christian guy, a uh, European guy who was a Christian then became an atheist and was very anti-Christian. And he wrote a book uh, trying to prove that Jesus didn't exist. Jesus is a myth. So this Muslim guy read the book, uh, got very excited about the book because it's against Christianity. And ended up believing what's in that book and say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, the book proves that Jesus doesn't exist. And I had to chat with this guy and say, brother, I mean, he forwarded the book to me. And I'm like, uh, we reject this book. You know, the, the, the. he said, yeah, but it proves that Jesus, the way the Christians portray Jesus in Bible, uh, Jesus never existed. Jesus was not even a reality. I said, you have by doing that, you are rejecting the Holy Quran. Because the Quran confirms that Nabi Isa existed. The Quran confirms that Jesus existed and Jesus was born without a father. This is in the Holy Quran. So by saying that I don't believe Jesus existed, you reject Jesus, that takes you out of the fold of Islam. After that, all your actions are rejected by Allah. So uh, I don't want to go into a list of things uh, that uh, will nullify your Iman, but uh, denying anything uh, clear-cut of our Aqeedah, denying anything clear-cut of our Aqeedah uh, takes the person out of Islam, and therefore then uh, all their actions become null and void. All their actions become null and void. That's why it is so important for us to know our Aqeedah. We need to know our Aqeedah, we need to know what we believe in, uh, we, we, we need to know what we reject, what we don't believe in. So uh, our Aqeedah is, is, is valid and authentic. Uh, otherwise, we are in the danger of uh, uh, being rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though we may have Muslim names and we think we are Muslims. Uh, this takes me to... Uh, the, an important uh, discussion as well about Aqeedah, and that is uh, what exactly is Aqeedah, what are we required to believe in, uh, what is it uh, that denying it takes us out of the fold of Islam. Now, this, uh, this is only when you say when you deny something in Aqeedah, it takes you out of the fold of Islam. It refers to the clear-cut matters of Aqeedah. So the things that we believe in, they are of two types. Qat'iyat and Zanniyat. Uh, clear-cut matters. Qat'iyat. Qat'iyat. Clear-cut matters. And Zanniyat, which are speculative matters. Probabilities, uh, you know, speculative. We are not 100% certain about that. It's something probable, but we're not 100% certain about it. Uh, uh, therefore, what takes you out of the fold of Islam is rejecting the clear-cut matters of Islam. Now, what are the clear-cut matters of Aqeedah? The clear-cut matters of Aqeedah are those matters that are uh, clearly stated in the Holy Quran. Clearly stated in the Holy Quran, yani, 
in a way that is uh, not open for any interpretation. It's clear cut. It's straightforward. You you can't have two meanings to it, right? Like when Allah says uh, that uh, that uh, lam yulad. Nobody gave birth to Allah, and Allah gave birth to nobody. It's clear cut. Khalas. You know, Allah gave birth to nobody. Uh, so it's clear cut matters in the Quran, as well as uh, clear cut matters from. Mutawatir uh, hadith. Mutawatir hadith means mass transmitted hadith. Mass transmitted hadith. So not any hadith, huh? because hadith are thousands of books. I mean, uh, thousands of narrations out there in the books of hadith. But uh, not rejecting, uh, uh, you know, uh, rejecting any hadith doesn't automatically take you out of the fold of Islam. Only rejecting. Clearly, uh, clearly mentioned matters in mass transmitted hadith. What is a mass transmitted hadith? It's a hadith uh, that is narrated by a large number of Sahaba. So, if there is a hadith uh, that is narrated by a large number of Sahaba, that it is classified by the scholars of hadith, muhaddisin, as mutawatir. Mutawatir, that's the term used, okay, mutawatir, mass transmitted. Then such a report, if it's a hadith that is mutawatir, this is higher than sahih, by the way. Not all authentic hadith, sahih hadith is mutawatir. A hadith may be authentic, meaning it's, it's coming from uh, authentic narrators, but uh, it's not mass transmitted. It's not narrated by a lot of Sahaba. Maybe it's narrated by one or two. And it's authentic. And we follow it. But uh, for Aqidah purposes, the Hadith needs to be mutawatir. Narrated by a large number of Sahaba. And it must be clear cut in its wording. The wording of the Hadith cannot be open for interpretation. Oh, it could mean like this. It could mean like that. It should. The meaning should be clear. Then, if somebody rejects uh, a hadith like that, then they are also out of the fold of Islam. And uh, they are out of the fold of Islam and they can't, you know, uh, they, all their actions are rejected. All their actions are rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is very important. Uh, unfortunately, in the Ummah today, we have two extremes with regards to this matter. <laughs> Uh, one extreme is that uh, there are those people who make you kafir for rejecting anything and everything they believe in. So if you disagree with the person on anything, they call you a kafir. Uh, somebody will tell you, uh, my sheikh is the greatest sheikh on earth. And I say, well, I don't agree with that. Oh, you are a kafir. How does that make me a kafir? You know, I mean, uh, believing in your sheikh is not uh, part of the pillars of Islam. It's not part of the clear-cut matters of Quran and Hadith, like I mentioned now. That's a speculative matter. It's, you believe your sheikh is the greatest sheikh. I believe my sheikh is... A... These things don't make anybody a kafir. Uh, or, or a certain uh, elements, you know, uh, that are mentioned, uh, hadith, like... Even, for example, the, the, the coming of Imam Mahdi, right? 
uh, we believe that there is in the before in the end of time there will be Imam Mahdi. But uh, although it's mentioned in authentic hadith, but it's not mutawatir, it's not mass transmitted. So if somebody says, I don't believe in Imam Mahdi, for example, that doesn't make them a kafir. It doesn't take them out of the fold of Islam. Because that is not something that's mentioned in mutawatir hadith. Or uh, things like that, right? So we have on one hand, ex people who are so extreme that the moment you disagree with any point of theirs, they want to take you out of the fold of Islam. Kafir. And like a lot of the discussions that happen between Shia and Sunni as well, uh, people are very quick to call each other Kafir on these things. Uh, and really, none of that makes a person Kafir. Uh, the Shia are very like, if anybody does not accept Ali radiallahu anh as the immediate Khalifa of the Prophet, he's a Kafir. How does that make anybody a Kafir? You know, that's not from the pillars of Islam. That's not from the clear-cut matters of the deen. And then some Sunnis also retort, if anybody doesn't accept Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anh as the best person after the Prophet, he's a Kafir. Again, these are not clear-cut matters uh, of the deen. If they were clear-cut, the Sahaba themselves wouldn't have disagreement about it. They, the Sahaba understood the deen better than us, and they had disagreements about these things, and they argued and you know about these things. They debated it. So uh, you have the sectarianism mentality where you know, like a Salafi will come and and bring all these points. You have to believe in this and this, and if you don't believe in it, you are a kafir. You have to believe Allah has two hands uh, and with five fingers, and if you don't believe that, you are a kafir. So this is extremism, making people kafir for things that are clearly not from the essentials of the deen. And then on the other extreme, we have people who reject clear-cut matters of Islam and they still want to be Muslim. Uh, people who believe that there are prophets after Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu like the Ahmadiyya, Qadiyaniya, and they insist they want to be Muslim. There are people who believe, I've heard people say there is no Jannah and Jahannam. Uh, it's just a state of mind or whatever, and they want to be Muslim. There are people who reject, like I said, the existence of Nabi Isa or Nabi Musa. Uh, I, or, for example, somebody says, and I've heard this one too, that we are not the children of Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, they believe in the theory of evolution and believe that we all came from monkeys or whatever. And uh, the, the story of Adam and Eve is not real. This is kufr. When you say we are not the children of Adam and Eve, you are rejecting a clear-cut matter of the deen. Why? Because throughout the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses all of you, all of us, as Ya Bani Adam, or children of Adam. And the Quran is very clear about it, that we are all, all mankind today is children of Adam and Hawa. So th this is a clear-cut matter. Another person said, I don't believe in the existence of the shaitan. Again, that's kufr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran is filled with references to the devil and the existence of the devil. If you say, I don't believe in the shaitan, you can't be a Muslim. Because, why? Because the Quran, our holy book, the word of God, is mentioning the shaitan, the story of shaitan in, with Adam alayhi salam, the story of shaitan in Jannah, is narrated in so many places. How can you say, I don't believe in, in shaitan? I have even heard some Muslims say, you know, and I say Muslims with, uh, you know, uh, 
commas there, inverted commas. Uh, we don't believe in the angels. There are no such thing as angels. This is fairy tales. If you say angels are fairy tales, then you are saying the Holy Quran is a fairy tale. Simple. You are saying that the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a fairy tale book. And if you believe the book of Allah, the book that our Prophet Muhammad was revealed to and gave to us, if that is a fairy tale, then how can you be a Muslim? Then you're not a Muslim. Don't call yourself a Muslim after that. By all means, if you want to reject the angels, reject them. But don't say I'm a Muslim after that. Don't insist that I want to be a Muslim. I'm a Muslim. You can't take me out of Islam. Yes, I can take you out of Islam. If you reject the fundamentals of Islam, you are out of the fold of Islam. So we have these two extremes today uh, of uh, some people uh, rejecting the essentials of Islam and insisting on remaining Muslims. And on the other hand, you have some people uh, uh, making Muslims kafir on the flimsies of things. Anybody who rejects this is a kafir. Anybody who rejects for anything, for non-essential matters. So we need to have uh, understand our aqidah properly the parameters of our aqidah, so we know also very clearly what makes you a kafir and what does not make you a kafir. Okay? Uh, there is also, uh, in, in, in the times that we live in, we also have this uh, approach of some people uh, of this thing of why can't everybody go to heaven? Why can't everybody go to heaven? And why only Muslims? Why only believers in Allah? Why those who believe in the Prophet Muhammad? Why can't anybody else go? Uh, so it, we'll ask a person like that. Fine. Uh, according to you, uh, uh, according to you, can, can a rapist go to heaven? If somebody was a serial killer or a serial uh, rapist, uh, somebody like like Hitler, for example, who killed millions of people, does he also deserve to go to Jannah? According to you. And they're going to say, no, 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 they can't. Why not? They will say, because that was a bad person. Right? Hitler was a bad person. Uh, the rapist is a bad person. The serial killer is a bad person. How can they go to paradise? So, therefore, we're going to tell the person then, so you agree that not everybody can go to paradise, right? You agree that not everyone goes to Jannah. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, only good people, but bad people shouldn't go to Jannah. And then we say, fine, now let's talk about the definition of good people and bad people. According to us, uh, rejection of Allah and rejection of its prophets is also makes you a bad person. Also, that is from the worst thing you can do. And the Quran is clear that Allah will forgive all sins except shirk. That Allah will not forgive those who worship other than him. And he can forgive everything else. And we've turned it around. Today we say, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, even those who commit shirk can go to Jannah. And, uh, uh, and it doesn't matter if, if you are a kafir or a mushrik, as long as you do good deeds. As, as long as you don't do bad deeds, right? But on the contrary, Allah is saying the opposite. Allah is saying, no. Even if you do all the bad deeds, I can forgive those bad deeds. But if you commit shirk, I will not forgive that. So you're not going to go to Jannah if, if you uh, uh, worship other than Allah. 
that is what Allah is not going to forgive. So Allah said, Muhammad, uh, therefore, this takes us to the importance of the science of Aqeedah. And uh, therefore, uh, Aqeedah is also called Usuluddin. One of the names of the science of Aqeedah is Usuluddin, the essentials of the deen, the essentials of the deen, Usuluddin. And uh, from an early period in our history, uh, scholars wrote on Aqeedah and tried to compile the Aqeedah in one place. One of the earliest efforts was by uh, uh, Imam Abu Hanifa in a book called Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, uh, the greater fiqh, or it is called the greater knowledge of Aqeedah. And it's a very small text. Some people question its authenticity, uh, but it's there. Uh, also, we find, as far as Aqeedah is concerned, the most famous text uh, is Al-Aqeedah Tahawiyyah, which was also written in the second century. Uh, it is also by uh, a very nice uh, text on Aqeedah. We should read that, inshallah, uh, at a later stage by Imam Al-Tahawi. And many other texts were written on Aqeedah. Uh, as the science of Aqeedah developed, and uh, scholars started not only compiling what we believe in from Quran and the Sunnah, but they also started compiling the proofs for that. And by proofs, I don't only mean the Quran and Sunnah proofs, but also the rational, logical proofs. And this happened due to uh, debate and discussion. Uh, as many non-Muslims came into Islam, and Islam spread into like places with, with great non-Muslim populations like Spain or uh, uh, Persia, uh, and, and there were people of other religions, and they would debate with the ulama. And one of the good things about the Islamic State at that time was of the Khilafah uh, that uh, they, 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 they didn't persecute the minorities uh, and they allowed them to have these debates. Sometimes in front of the king, the Muslim king will have a Christian person, a priest, come and debate an imam about Islam openly, without fear, you know, that something is going to happen to me. So uh, this flourished, uh, especially during Abbasid times. And due to this, uh, uh, the scholars started, you know, compiling all the proofs and the evidences for Aqeedah. This is not something the Sahaba did. In the time of the Sahaba, they didn't have these debates. Uh, the Quran said something, they said, Amanna, Saddaqna, we believe. The Prophet said something, they said, Khalas, we believe in that. And that's it. No discussions and debates and arguments. So in the time of the Sahaba in Tabi'in, you didn't have much of these debates and arguments. But after that, after the first hundred years of Islam, uh, when, uh, as I said, uh, Muslims started mixing with non-Muslims uh, and people started debating and arguing about things, it is at that stage that uh, it became necessary for scholars to argue and debate and compile all the proofs, especially for beginners and students. Now, the text that we are reading, inshallah, which is uh, Al-Aqeedah As-Sanusiyah, is a text like that. It is compiled by Al-Imam uh, Abu Abdullah Muhammad bin Yusuf As-Sanusi, and it not only uh, tells you of the essential beliefs about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his prophets, but it also gives you the proofs, the logical proofs for, for each of those beliefs, so that you can, you know, uh, logically, uh, you know, convince somebody of believing in, in that. 
simple arguments but nevertheless logical and rational. So Imam Sanusi compiled this book because he was asked to that uh, to compile a book uh, of aqidah which not only mentions the aqidah what we believe in our creed our creed but also the evidences for it the evidences for it so he compiled this book uh, it's not even a book you can't call it a book it's a, it's a text a, a booklet uh, and he named it ummul barahin so the name of this text the actual name is ummul barahin uh, which means uh, the 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 collection or the compendium or the compendium of evidences. Literally, it means the mother of evidences, the mother book. But the mother here means the mother book, the mother book of evidences, Ummul Barahin. That's the actual name of the text. But since it was written by Imam Sanusi, uh, uh, it became uh, popular as Al Aqidah As Sanusiya. Al-Aqidah al-Sanusiya, the Aqidah of Imam Sanusi, meaning the Aqidah book of Imam Sanusi, okay? Of course, it's the Aqidah of all Muslims. Uh, it's not just what his Aqidah, but when they say the Aqidah al-Sanusiya, it means the Aqidah book of Imam Sanusi. So it became popular as Al-Aqidah al-Sanusiya, although it's written by, uh, uh, it's actually in Umul Barahir. So who was Imam al-Sanusi, radiallahu anh? Uh, just to look at a little bit of uh, the information about Imam Sanusi. First of all, Imam Sanusi uh, was from Algeria, was from the North African nation of Algeria. Uh, he lived in the 8th Islamic century. And he was born in the year 830, 830. We are now in the year 14. 42 right 1442 he was born in the year 830 and he passed away in the year 895 895 he studied with a lot of ulama uh, in north africa in morocco in algeria in tunisia he went to egypt he went to Mecca and medina uh, and he was both a scholar and a saint so he was also a man of allah he man of uh, spirituality and tasawwuf and he became uh, basically the most greatest scholar of his time in North Africa, in North Africa. And he authored a lot of books. He authored a lot of books. Uh, but the most popular of his books is this text that we have of Aqidah. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, gave this book of his, uh, Kabul. Kabul means acceptance. You know that the Ummah accepted it. it. It just spread far and wide. Everybody throughout Makkah, Medina, everywhere, all the way uh, 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 till Indonesia. So from Morocco to Indonesia, literally, literally from Morocco to Indonesia, this text of Imam Sanusi spread and was taught by Muslims for centuries till today. Uh, we have a sheikh here in Cape Town. Uh, uh, who is locally called Tuan Guru, he, he came to Cape Town more than 200 years ago, uh, 250 years ago, as an exile from Indonesia. They brought him from Indonesia to uh, Cape Town as a political prisoner. He's one of the founders of Islam here. He established the first masjid here in Cape Town. He was in jail for 12 years in Robben Island, the same place where President Nelson Mandela was imprisoned. He was there 200 years before Mandela. And when... Uh, um, 
he uh, came out of uh, when he was in that prison. One of the things he did in that prison, by the way, was uh, write uh, this book Ummul Barahin Aqidah Sanusiya from memory, from memory. So uh, from his own memory, he had memorized the book in Indonesia, Indonesia. And when he was in jail in Cape Town, he wrote this book from memory. And when he came out of jail, he used to teach all the Muslims here from that book. Ummul Barahin, or Laqida Sanusiya. So, and so you can see how this text from Algeria is spread all the way to, to, to Indonesia. It's because uh, the sincerity of the author. He was sincere in what he wrote. And uh, he was a man of Allah. And some uh, historians even mention that he was a descendant of the Prophet وسلم, um, from his mother's side. So he was uh, from uh, the, the, the Algerian city of Tilimsan. Uh, Tilimsan, that's why he's also called Al-Imam Al-Tilimsani. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing about him before I conclude, that Imam Al-Sanusi is not to be confused with a later uh, uh, Sufi sheikh uh, who was called Sheikh Al-Sanusi, uh, who died about 150 years ago, and the founder of the Sanusiya Tariqa. There was a Sufi Tariqa called Tariqa Al-Sanusiya, uh, from Imam uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Sanusi, uh, but that's not the man that we are talking about, although they come from the same tribe. So they come from the same tribe, but uh, the Sheikh of the Sanusiya Tariqa, that's uh, from which Umar al-Mukhtar belonged to, the Lion of the Desert, as he's called from Libya, uh, that's a different person. We are person we're talking about somebody much older than him, somebody much earlier than him. Uh, who was a great uh, scholar from Algeria. This one was also from Algeria. So, uh, but he passed away. Our author passed away in the year 895. So five years before the year 900. Uh, and so it's, you know, uh, it's uh, 500 years since Imam Sanusi passed away. But for the last 500 years, his text has been widely acclaimed throughout the Muslim world. It's taught in the Jami Adul Azhar in Egypt and throughout the Muslim world. And inshallah, next week, we will start the text and we will read the actual text of Imam al-Sanusi, the Aqidah al-Sanusiya, or the mother book of evidences, so that we can uh, also have make an effort to understand our Aqidah better and what we should believe in. Again, I'm not saying you don't know your Aqidah already. We know our Aqidah, alhamdulillah, as Muslims, we grow up and we kind of already know what we believe in. But it's important also to study the Aqidah in a systematic manner with the evidences and the proofs and with the details. The detail is important. Uh, we may know the basics of Aqidah, but we don't always know the detail. The ordinary people out there don't always know the details of Aqidah. And I'm often shocked at the, the lack of knowledge of Aqidah that many ordinary Muslims have. So therefore, it's important to study Aqidah properly uh, so that our actions can be built on a solid and valid foundation and accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Rabbil Alameen. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين بارك الله فيكم